the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We're always delighted when you join us here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, the word, of course, in Orlando. Alan Dempsey, the great engineer, gets us on the air. And uh, Andrew Herdliska is our producer. And uh, we're delighted to welcome Scott Welch, uh, principal founder of Global Bridge Builders. Uh, His book is out with Herald Press, Plantation Jesus, Race, Faith, and a New Way Forward. Uh, Scott, welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well, Pat. Thank you for allowing me to be on the show. Uh, Scott is the principal and the founder of Global Bridge Builders. He's in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, What prompted you to write the book, uh, Scott, with uh, the late Rick Wilson? You know, uh, first of all, it actually came out of a relationship that I had with my what I call my brother from another mother, my Scotch-Irish brother from another mother. I got it. Rick was, um, well, we were really good, great friends, and I uh, had a radio show together, in fact, for some years, called Radio in Black and White, the most integrated hour of the week. And Rick started, actually, the book, and then uh, got sick, and we, as Covenant Brothers, made a promise. He said, hey, if I go to, if I go to heaven... You've got to finish the book, but if I stay, I'll finish it. And so, really, it was a, it was me pulling that forward and keeping my word to, to my brother. And uh, and so we finished it. He had written some part of it, but we had to kind of you know take it to the to the finish line, and was delighted to do so. And um, it was really uh, based upon both of our hearts, and that is to really see the body of Christ come together. And so, as I was telling uh, your your producer, in terms of having such a mild name as Plantation Jesus. You know, and that is, of course, tongue-in-cheek. But the whole idea is that when we first um, began to, when, when, when Rick first had the idea, it was really the concept was, is that the, body, the unity, uh, having the unity in the body of Christ, okay? And then what, what I began to, what we, you know, what the book actually entails is, is that when we think about history, just after, you know, Reconstruction, there was a system put in place called Jim Crow. And, um, but what we didn't pay a lot of attention to is that whole, that the spirit of Jim Crow actually, you know, really, really, uh, crept its way into the body, into the church. And so essentially, Pat, uh, Plantation Jesus is the Jim Crow of the church. And, uh, it's, we speak about the systems that are set up. And unfortunately, while we are, you know, we have, uh, you know, the, the body of Christ, and we are really, of course, we are making our way to reflect more and more the image of God. Um, we've got some history that we, I don't know that we really deal with quite a bit, and I believe that it is one of the main barriers for, for true unity. And so um, when we talk about Plantation Jesus, it is about that system that is in place, has been, is, and until we do something different, it will be. Um, but then we also talk about, uh, in the book itself, every chapter actually has discussion guides at the end of it. And then the, 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 a new way forward actually is, um, 
a, a large part of the book at the very end is it has exercises and conversation starters and a bibliography that allow people to really begin their own journey to to expand uh, you know really expand their understanding of, of of our history and the church's history um, as it relates to uh, just our our relationship that is that is very tense as it relates primarily to ethnic origins more than anything. And so, but it is a solutions-based book because when people, because I think we all in some way, we know something's wrong, but I think we don't either, either we don't want to talk about it or we don't have the vocabulary to talk about. And not that Plantation Jesus, the book is a, is a, um, is a magic bullet, but it does give us language to move forward. And of course, that is in contrast, Plantation Jesus stands in stark contrast to the real Jesus. Um, where is, you know, where I think of one of my favorite verses is Revelation 7 and 9. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue is around the throne of God, and we're worshiping, and although we look different, we're saying the same thing. And that gives me hope, because we, we really have a great, we've got 66 chapters, or 66 books, right, oh, called the Bible, and we, we, have a, we have the tools to do it. Um, but I don't know if but I'm really wanting to see more the willingness to do it. And that, when I say by to do it, that means to come together and to really model something that the world uh, is waiting for. Why can't we talk 10 roadblocks to real conversation? Uh, you address that very early in the book, Scott. Uh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Some of the roadblocks, I think be, uh, part of it is that we are uh, dismissive of, of each other's experiences uh, in some way. And so we have these roadblocks um, because, again, and I want you know, you give the benefit of the doubt, it's because we don't have the language. I always tell folks, let's suppose we had to move to uh, Brazil. So Portuguese would be, the, would be the language of the day. I'm sure if I were to move there, I'd misconjugate verbs, I might offend people, and I might just be quiet and may not say anything. But at some point in time, I need to get better at the language. And I think in, in, in the body of Christ, we have an opportunity, we have a language, but we need to, as family, have some of those uncomfortable conversations in order to, to really exhibit the true unity that the Father talks about in John 17. So the, the ten barriers, um, you know, things like, I, I never owned a slave, or why can't we just get over it? In fact, it's funny because one of the times when Rick and I, we had our show, we named the show that particular week, It, just quotes, it, I-T, It. And we said, here's the deal. We want to talk about it. When people talk about getting over it, I want to hear from you, the callers. I said, I want to hear, what, how would you define it? And I knew, Pat, by doing this, it would, if, if people were really interested in that, they would, um, they would have to dive into history and see that, you know, what we're talking about is, is, is much, is, 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 is but to tell people to get over it is to neglect and to do serious study on what it is and to be dismissive of that, right? And so the 10 barriers are things that just stop conversation. You know, when we talk about um, this whole idea um, of, of one of the big things that Rick and I, we actually covered early on in our relationship, and I, it was proof that once you cover that, really, you can go and talk about anything with, with a brother uh, that is another color of you you're, from you, you know. And I intentionally don't say race because there's only one race, there's the human race, and then we have different tribes and ethnicities in that. Um, but what we what we what we 
began to talk about as, as brothers was we talked about the ethnicity of Jesus, right? We talked about that. We talked about the myth of a Christian nation. We talked about um, the, uh, and the Church's complicit nature or involvement in, in slavery. And I tell folks, if you want to, if you can traverse those three big pillars uh, and you can do it together, holding on and saying, I'm not going to let you go, even though I may be offended, I'm not going to, we're going to kind of really connect each other at the hip. We're going to make it through this together. I find you can talk about anything after that, you know. And so those are some of the barriers. But once you um, concretely and directly face those barriers, particularly as Christians, you find that there's a freedom in your conversation and there's a depth of conversation that goes beyond simply kind of the, the anecdotal, not, not, not anecdotal, I guess that's not the right word, but, but these events where churches have foot washing services and things like that, all that's good. But at the end, people leave and they go back to their respective congregations unchanged. And so we're talking about deep to the root, to the core change, and that, is only, that can only happen when, when, when our identity in Christ becomes bigger than our ethnic culture. Now, Scott, our guest, and a fascinating one at that, is Scott Welch in Grand Rapids. Uh, talk to us about how to know what you don't know, the face of Plantation Jesus. Uh, what's that about? So how to know what you don't know? You know, there are different different states that we as human beings kind of exist in. We know what we know, you know, and then they're, they're on the other side of that spectrum, Pat, is we don't know what we don't know. In other words, we have blind spots, right? And, and the thing is, we all have them as human beings. And so it doesn't belong to one culture or the other, but one of the, 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 the kind of, I guess, the, the main idea behind that chapter is that in order for us to know some stuff that we don't know, we have to do life with people that we may not know either. Scott, we I want to you to, to... Scott, we're going to get on this. we got to take a break. Hold, oh, no worries. hold your thought. Okay, uh, we'll Scott do. Welch is with us. Plantation Jesus, the name of the book. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We do it every weekend right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. We'll be right back, folks. Scott Welch is with us from Grand Rapids, Michigan. We're talking about his book, Plantation Jesus. And Scott, uh, before the break, uh, we'd gotten to know, you had just started on how to know what you don't know, the face of Plantation Jesus. Uh, Pick it up from there, please. Yes. So the whole idea of not knowing what we don't know, it, it really talks about having blind spots, which we all have as human beings. But one of the ways to actually address and to, uh, you know, cause those um, blind spots to begin to be places that we do see or to minimize those spots um, areas is, is to do life with someone that maybe you don't know that you haven't, that, that has not been a regular part of your life, you know? And so the way to get rid of those blind spots is, is to have someone in your life that actually has a different experience from you. One of the things I find is that isolation breeds ignorance. And so what we are able to do when we connect with each other across ethnic lines, across even denominational lines, those types of things, is it helps us get smarter. You know, it's likened unto going into an art gallery with someone 
and uh, of a different experience. And you will see something different as you look through their eyes and as they look through your eyes. And we were never made, we were not created to be alone. I mean, we, we tend to take that whole idea of Adam as it related to Eve and having a helpmate. But I also think there's a principle there that's, that's deeper than simply marriage. I think it is also telling us that, that, that we are not good by ourselves, just as human beings. And so what that allows, Pat, is when we do exist on these islands, it allows Plantation Jesus to build his false doctrine inside of us. And so we end up taking uh, news bites for our intellect. We end up taking, uh, we have groups that were people that are just like us. Our dinner tables look just like us. Our friends look just like us. Over time, that takes us to a place of isolation. And so that is where false doctrine can thrive, and that's where plantation Jesus can actually just thrive. But when you go to the Word of God and you allow God to help select your friends in your rooms and have people at your dinner table, when you really um, when you really begin to ask the real Jesus to lead and order your steps by His Spirit, He's going to lead you into some different places, and those places are going to be uncomfortable, but that's why we have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And so if we are able to understand that we need each other, that community is when we're at our best, that is where the real Jesus can come in and where we can get rid of the plantation Jesus, because really, unfortunately, we tend to be, as the body right now, we are more, uh, you know, segregated based upon political ideology or denominational ideology, ethnic ideology. With all of that stuff, it's not that it's bad, it's just that it hasn't bowed its knee. And everything that we are, for instance, for me as an African-American, I'm not that first. I'm a Christian first. And everything that I am, my identification as a father, as a husband, as a son, um, you know, as a, all of that has to bow its knee to me being a Christian first. And I just think that's where the body of Christ is, very, is pretty immature, because we're more culturally oriented than we are covenantally oriented. And that's where we have to switch. Now, Scott, explain this one. What to believe, reading the Bible on the plantation. What to believe. So reading, reading the Bible on the plantation, one of the things about that, Pat, is where uh, we, we talk a little bit about um, the, uh, the autobiography of, of an American slave by Frederick Douglass. And essentially what he was saying is, is that uh, one, of the, one of his quotes, and we use it in the book, and that is, he said, of the Christianity of this nation and the Christianity of the Bible, I see the furthest possible difference. And what he was saying is, is back in, the, in his day, he was, as a slave, considered to be chattel. He was counted amongst the horses and the pigs and everybody and, and, and all the other, and, and, and other animals, whereas, of course, he's a human being. And he would talk about the fact that being on the plantation uh, as a slave, they would put stripes on his back while reading the Scripture to him. And so how twisted, how perverted can that be, where that would be just... And, that, and the thing is, Pat, about that, that was absolutely normal. That wasn't uh, an anomaly. That wasn't some isolated incident. And so what that speaks about is when you bring together this notion of benevolent slavery or benevolent captivity and the Scripture, by which, by the way, some people try to do, and they still try to do, um, I was talking to a president of a university that he was really struggling that you couldn't be a slave owner and a Christian. And I said, well, you can't be scripturally. Um, and so 
the whole idea of being um, the whole idea of, of, of uh, the Bible on the plantation speaks to the fact that we've allowed this very unholy, uh, this very unholy kind of um, partnership exists between the Bible and slavery, and we've called it good. And it's never been good, it never can be good, and it can't be excused. And until we really, again, allow our hearts to become soft to the voice of God, we won't even see that we've been walking, essentially, in a space that is, you know, when you look at the difference between um, uh, sin, transgression, and iniquity, and iniquity, you know, sin means fitness to mark, but when you go to the other part of that, where iniquity is, is talked about, that is where you actually where what was you don't acknowledge the, the you don't acknowledge the border anymore and in fact now you've replaced it and what is and you you've actually renamed what the norm is and I think that um, in terms of plantation Jesus and 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 the Bible and Christianity we move the landmark and so we call that okay it's just a part of our history and it is a part of our history as sorted as it is but we can't defend it. And so what we're saying is, is to get the Bible off the plantation and, and put Christ, uh, and allow Christ to rule and reign, and everything that we are, Pat, we have to submit that to Him, and let Him really define our norms. Scott, I want you to get into this topic. Who's got the power? White supremacy <laughs> doesn't just wear hoods. Boy, what a feisty topic that is, huh? Right, right. Okay, so, you know, as you can see, we, we didn't, we, you know, we don't want to talk about controversial things in the book. Uh. Um, but anyway, you know, the point behind that, Pat, is, is that we look at the, the sophistication of white supremacy. It's not as simple as burning our history. Uh, we look back at burning uh, crosses and things like that. Um, it is not, it is not that simple anymore, because the thing is, is that whole idea, it's an ideology, and you can't see it a lot of times. You can only hear it. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you can hear it, but it's not as though it's going to come up and say, hey, by the way, I'm white supremacy. Now, we do see some of those things manifesting in our current day, but by and large, ideology is something that you hold between your two ears, right? And so we're saying that uh, it, it's, it's not as simple as having hoods and things these days. But what it also is, it's a bigger, it's a bigger kind of, um, when Paul says, I beseech thee, right? It's a bigger ask of the body of Christ, particularly white brothers and sisters, to say, really consider what's happening in your head, in your mind, and understand if there's some things in you whereby Christ is not reigning over, Right, and if some of those things are connected to um, us looking down at people, right? Um, then we have some of that stuff in our heart. We got to get rid of that. And so, and one of the things I'd say from the other side is that um, this whole notion of white supremacy—it um, it, it is a ditch, right? Um, this notion of black inferiority—it is a ditch. And it's both idolatrous because anything, an idol is anything that you need the permission of to obey God. And so I, if I go to somebody else instead of going to the Father in Jesus' name, then if I go to the other, that person or that thing, that becomes something that's an idol, right? And so 
on the supremacy side, if 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 I'm puffed up in my ways and I don't need God, then then that's one of those things that also leads to a ditch. So the, the premise goes right back to having what I call a Christocentric life, and that is that Jesus is the one that should help us navigate our identity, not not being less than, not being more than, because he made us he made us enough by virtue of us being created here, right? And so we look at, we debunk this whole idea of white supremacy, um, and we talk about it as people saying, you know, Lord, search my heart, and if there's any way, any wicked way in me, you know, like David said, you know, create me a clean heart, renew a right spirit in me. And so it's, it's this notion of asking the Lord to reveal things in our hearts so that we can actually get better. You know, and I think that's where when I we, the name, which I thought Rick brilliantly named it, um, people initially think that it's it's a it's a it's a really um, it may be controversial, but I will tell folks that the book is so drenched in the love of God and the grace of God, and what it does, the grace is there for us to change, right? The grace is there for us to mature and to grow up, and until we have these conversations, Pat, within a family of believers that don't look alike. We're not going to we're not going to reveal Jesus to the world. And again, and you know, revival doesn't come through a curriculum. Revival comes through God's presence being on His people to 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 actually manifest something that the world has been waiting to see for years. And I think that's one of the main things that the that the book is asking about. It's saying, you know what, we really need to grow up. We have to have mature conversations, and this is one of those uh, tools to do that. Who we worship. The myth of America as a Christian nation. Scott Welch, our guest, Plantation Jesus, the name of the book. Uh, you ready to tackle that question or that issue I just brought up, Scott? Absolutely, since I helped to write it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. You know, um, Pat, when we talk about that, you know, it's, it's really interesting because you can, you can when, you, when you go into that particular room, um, it is really, uh, it, is a, it is a hall of hero worship. Um, what we, and again, I'm, just, I'm so blessed to be, you know, in, born in this nation and, and, and love my country and pray for my president daily and everything, as I should. Um, but we are, we are actually deceiving ourselves in thinking that we come from Christian roots as a nation. First of all, in the Constitution, Jesus Christ's name is not mentioned, right? Nor is he mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. Religion, freedom of religion is mentioned, which is why anybody can practice any belief system that they find that fits their, their, you know, kind of their whole ideology. I'm a Christian, so I pray to the Father in Jesus' name according to the Scripture, right? But we are a religious nation, and so we didn't come—we we want to call it a Christian nation, but, it, but it, it, it isn't, because it's not even in our founding document. On top of that, nine of the twelve founding fathers were slave owners. Now, as I said earlier, when you talk about the difference between sin, transgression, and iniquity, when you look at uh, when you look at iniquity again, it has changed what is norm, and so wicked stuff can become norm. And so, when you look at a 400-year history of of captivity, of breaking up of families, of boiling people in oil, of of slavery and hanging people, that is not what a Christian would do for for 400 years. Now, if it happened where you know, maybe it happened for six months. Okay, you kind of look at it, you say, Lord, I missed the mark, I'm going to change. we got to do this. But when it becomes embedded in a system of a creation of a nation, 
for 400 years. You can't say that's, oops, that's not a mistake. That's a way of doing life. And so Christians don't enslave Christians, right? And people want to say, well, there's Christianity, there's, there's, there's slavery in the Bible. Well, the distinct difference between that and our American institution of slavery is that our institution involved kidnapping, which the Bible forbids completely out of hand. And we made a practice of it. Also, I think the whole idea is that um, this whole idea of a Christian nation has kind of led us to this place where we worship our nation more than we worship God. And we should never, ever confuse the two. And so when you look at our founding documents, you look at our history of slavery, when you look at the fact that we are, we are um, really one of our—we're infamous for our history. And I think that this—to call ourselves a Christian nation would be to say that, that our behavior and our very founding was something that was birthed by Jesus. And, and you can't really tie facts to that. We can, we can tie what we want to believe to that. But we can't tie facts, and particularly when it's not in our founding document, um, it's 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 and it and we have a history of you know really of the subjugation of a people. Now, I would also say that one of the things that we we need to do as a nation, we need to repent as a nation for our part in slavery, and the church needs to lead the way because of our complicit nature in it. Because what we did, we put a theology around it, Pat, and I just believe that broke God's heart. But again. God will give you your will if you push it too much. Our guest has been Scott Welch, author of Plantation Jesus. We've got more after this. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Uh, Stay with us. Scott, that was a good half hour, my friend. It went fast, didn't it? It did. Thank you, Pat. (laughs) It it, It flew by. But I'm I'm so glad we could hook up. I've uh, been eager to talk to you, and I'm glad we were able to do it. Thanks so much, Pat. All the best to you. God bless you now. Bye-bye. Uh, bye, Scott. Scott Welch, our guest in that first segment, talking about his book, Plantation Jesus. Scott was in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, so we go from Grand Rapids to Monroe, North Carolina, and that's where Wendy Pope resides, speaker with Proverbs 31 Ministries, and her new book is out with David C. Cook. Yes, no, and maybe living with the God of immeasurably more. Wendy, how are you? How you doing? I'm doing great, Pat. I really am. Thank you. I hope you are. I'm good. I'm good. So there's got to be a history here on this book, something that brought it about. Am I right? Yes, there is. It was a history that I wasn't looking for. It just kind of wrote itself with my life, actually. Um, this is a book that it really is a strong testimony to God's work in my life and my uh, I got to the place where I just was like, Lord, is this as good as it gets? Um, and uh, in, in a few years, 15-something years that I've been living by the disciplines that I wrote about in this book, I've learned that this is, that, that was not as good as it gets. Because with God, it gets better. 
And better turns to immeasurably more if we live and surrender to him and obedience to his word. Well, I want to uh, get into the meat of your book. Uh, the first section is called, Yes, Cultivates Trust. Yes. Obedience, Obstacles, and Obsession are the subtopics. So uh, tackle that one for us, Wendy. Fill us in. Well, obedience, I start out in the book. The book is surrounded about around the person of Paul, the Apostle Paul in the book. And so I chronicle his life, uh, not completely because he has so much of the New Testament, um, but I, I pepper through his teachings uh, through the book and um, talk about his first, Yes, which was a yes to God. He had that Damascus Road experience with God, and that's what God wants us to have. He wants us to have that salvation experience with him, that yes moment with him. And then I talk about um, the different things that keep us from the obstacles that keep us from obeying God um, and the obsession that he wants us to be because he's obsessed with us. I mean, God sent his son to save us, to give us eternal life. I would say that's obsession. When you're sending someone to die for you, they are obsessed with you. And God is obsessed with us as his children, and he wants us to be obsessed with him. But our obedience to God is the most important thing to him. And that obedience cultivates a trust relationship with God. Um, We learn that we can trust him with our life. We learn him that we can trust, we learn that we can trust him with our hearts, with our joys, with our sorrows. And when we um, stand in opposition to that, that trust is broken. And we have a distance from God. We have a separation from God when we choose not to obey him. And that's when we get to that place, Pat, where I believe a lot of Christians are where we're asking ourselves, is this as good as it gets? We sit in church, we go to church on Sundays, and sometimes midweek, and maybe we even go to Bible study. And we fill in all of our blanks, and we do all the right things, and perhaps we even tithe. Woo, that's a bonus, you know? And we serve, but yet there's something missing, and that's because we haven't completely surrendered our life, our wants, and our wishes, and our whims to God. And when we do that, that trust cultivates with him. And and I talk about it in the book as almost um, just a fun, secret relationship with a best friend. When God asks you to do something and you do it, it, you're pleasing your father. You, You are making him happy, but you also have a joy within you that it's, it's this, it's this fun thing that you and him have. I love when God asks me to do something and I do it, and I know that I've made him happy, but I also have a joy within me that, um, that just fills me up, and that's the way he wants us to live in, in the fullness of his joy and in the fullness of obedience with him, and we learn to just trust him, and I know it sounds simplistic in a way, but sometimes God asks us to, to, to obey him in hard ways where we have to um, forgive somebody that has hurt us, or we have to um, maybe do something that's out of our comfort zone. But we learn that God is with us, he is for us, and that God is good, and that he is trustworthy. And we don't let anything stand in the way. I talk about the book, how we let ourselves stand in our way. A lot of times we're our own opposition 
to the fullness that God wants to have in our life because we're not willing to obey. So we need to remove ourselves from the calculation and from the um, from the, move our, remove ourselves from the from the picture and allow God to work in our lives. So I also talk about selfishness and how we put ourselves first. I talk about sin being an obstacle, and sin is not a popular subject. We don't really even like to address it with ourselves, but that is one of the obstacles that stands in our way of enjoying the fullness of the God of immeasurably more. And when we get rid of all of those and we're willing to deal with them, and I I have to deal with them on a daily basis, Pat. I don't know about you, but (laughs) I have to meet with my Savior every day, and I have Mm. to to spend time with him every day and, and, and clean the, clean the, uh, clean the slate every day and say, Lord, today's a new day. I know that I didn't do well yesterday and I know I did things that weren't right and pleasing to you and they were selfish or I sinned yesterday or I'm in sin right now and I need your forgiveness. And that just creates a relationship that is so full and it's a relationship that will never, ever let us down. You know, we live in a world where the relationships, uh, our human relationships constantly let us down, even the ones that we are most committed to, our spouses, our dearest friends, our family members, they let us down. But when I, we have this relationship with God and there's a trust there, we, we don't, he will not let us down. He may do things differently than what we want, and we don't understand him all the time. Um, what he, his ways, uh, we might not understand his ways all the time, but we can trust him and trust what he says and what his uh, activity is in our life. And when we, when we obey him, we learn to trust him. And he learns to trust us, too. He learns to trust us with, with um, assignments, God-sized assignments, and sometimes just small assignments that we get to participate in kingdom work. And that is truly a blessing in your life when you get to participate in kingdom work. Wendy Pope is our guest. Uh, her book is out, Yes, No, and Maybe. So, Wendy, you covered for us, yes. Now, here's the second part of your book. No invites revelation. No to self. Accepting my new image. No to self. Analyzing what conceals my image. No to self. Adjusting to my new image. A lot of, mater- <laughs> a lot of material there, Wendy. Uh, fill- yeah, there, there, there is. There fill- is. Fill uh, us in. <laughs> Well, this is the part of of the journey that I say where the rubber meets the road. That's a southern term. Yes, um, it's it's where we really we really can let God know how serious we are in our relationship with Him. And I believe this is where Christians stop short and they miss the immeasurably more life that Jesus died to give. Um, it it gets easy to obey God. It gets um, joy, you find joy in obeying God. You have this relationship with Him. It's just like, like the secret best friend that you have, and you can tell Him all of your hurts and your feelings, and and it feels so good in that first phase of that trust and cultivating that trust and having that best friend that you can count on that will never let you down, and that's good, and we love that. But when we stop short there, we're still missing the God of immeasurably more, because his purpose, his purpose is to create in us and to shape us into the image. I guess that's a better way to put it, to shape us in the image in which we were created in the very beginning. And that is, if you go back to Genesis, we were created in the image of God. And sin came into the world. 
and we are born with that sin nature, and we give in to that sin nature, and that sin nature and that shame that comes with sin chips away at that original image in which we were created. And we live with shame. We live with sin that we just can't get past. But God's forgiven us, but we just can't get past it. And that chips away at that image that we were created. God knows what we were created to be. And so we have allowed, just over time, we've been worn down by the enemy. We've been worn down by the world. And our image is misshapen. And so God wants to, we've cultivated this trust. And God wants us to look at ourselves through the lens of his word. I'm going to repeat that. He wants us to look mm. at ourselves through the lens of his word. And that word, Hebrew tells us, is sharp. It's a double-edged sword. And it's going to come in and it's going to penetrate our bones and our marrow. It's going to separate our spirit. And it's going to show us what is needs to be changed and what needs to be adjusted in our life. And this is where, as I, as I said before, we stop short as Christians because we don't like pain. We don't like change, and we don't want to be told or we don't want to see the bad parts of our life. And no to self, I call it no to self invites revelation because it reveals the Word of God reveals the things in our lives that are not pleasing to God, that are not of God, that are not the fruit of the Spirit. I unpack those um, in this section as well. But um, And he allows us, he, he stays with us. And here's what the beauty of these disciplines are, Pat, is because we've cultivated trust with God and we know he loves us and we're a certain that he will not let us down, we can trust that he's going to bring these things into our view with the lens of his word, and it's only for our good. I remember seeing myself in my child having um, responding in an angry moment. And that, yeah, I mean, we have an angry spirit because that's part of sin in our lives, but my child was responding in a moment in a disappointment and anger in the way that he had seen it in me. And so what was I producing in my child? I was producing in my child what was wrong inside of me. And so the Lord began to tenderly show me places of anger in my life and bitterness in my life through the loving, gentle, kind words of his scriptures. And I began to surrender to those, and that's the key is, yes, God, I have a problem with this. Yes, God, this is not in the image of who you created me to be. And, God, I want to be who you created to me. So I'm going to let your word have its way in my life. And we've already learned to obey God. So this phase, this is a natural progression in our journey with the Lord, is to allow him to reveal those things of us, parts of us that need to change, and believe it or not, you get to a place, Pat, where it brings joy in your life because you realize you're becoming more and more like the father that you love and adore. And that's part of it. That's, that's the whole reason why he wants to have relationship with us is to love us and to shape us into the image that he created us to be. My guest is Wendy Pope. She's in Monroe, North Carolina, uh, not too far from Charlotte. 
And uh, the book she's written is, is a good one. Yes, no, and maybe. Uh, Wendy, um, let's get started. Then we're going to have to take a break. But let me introduce uh, the maybe part here. Um, the third part. Maybe welcomes freedom. Maybe celebrates freedom for. Maybe considers before committing. Maybe confronts what ifs and a warning. My immeasurably more life. Boy, there's some interesting stuff there. Just give us a little introduction to that. You've got about a minute, then we're going to break, and then we'll come back and you can fill us in. Well, here's a great introduction. Who doesn't want to live in freedom? Mm-hmm. Who doesn't want to live in freedom? And that's, that's what the whole end result is, is to live in the freedom that Christ died to give us. And that's what we'll talk about in the next segment. Uh, you're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We gather like this every weekend, get to talk to some really interesting people around the country uh, on topics that are very, very important to them. Uh, 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando, uh, where the, uh, the tagline is, Faith Comes by Hearing. And therefore, it's important to listen uh, to our station all day long. Excellent Bible teachers, interesting programming. It's, uh, it's a marvelous place just to set your dial and you can't go wrong. Uh, back with Wendy Pope right after these messages. Wendy Pope is with us. Uh, yes, no, and maybe. That's the name of her book. Wendy, before the break, we uh, introduced Maybe Welcomes Freedom. Now you've got time to really tell us about it. The place that I'm living now, Pat, it's, it's the place that Jesus uh, and the Father and the Spirit want us all to live. It, and you know what? It's the place where everyone longs to live but doesn't know exactly how to get there. And when we get there, when we get there, we have this moment where we take this exhale and we're, we can go, ah, oh, this is what it was, this is what it was all about. This is what the journey was all about. It was about living free in Christ. Jesus died. Jesus gave his life. Jesus was obedient to the Father so that we could live freely in him. And what does that mean? What what does that freedom look like? And and I call it maybe welcomes freedom because it's a a gift. It's it's a guest in our life. It's, It's someone new that we're welcoming in our life, even if we want to personify Welcome. We are welcoming the gift and the guest of freedom. And I love the way that the Lord unpacked this as I wrote this, because so often we think of freedom from something. We think of freedom from addiction and freedom from pain and freedom from the bondage of a sickness, maybe a a terminal sickness or freedom from even a physical freedom, freedom from prison bars. We think of that. We may even think of a bicentennial celebration, our country's freedom. There's freedom from this, freedom from that. 
but when I was writing this book, the Lord truly directed me through his spirit that this is a, not a freedom from, yes, he does free us from addiction. He does free us from sin. He does free us from those things. But the freedom from is for freedom for. It is freedom for radical living, generous giving. And let me unpack some of those um, since we have time. And it's freedom for radical living. It's the freedom, Pat, that we have to be able to look in the face of the world and say, you know what? I'm not going to participate in that. I'm not going to partake in that activity. I'm not going to go to that place. I'm not going to enter into that kind of conversation because it is not healthy for me spiritually. It is not something that pleases my father. And this freedom for radical living, it welcomes that to the point where we don't have to worry about judgment. I know it's hard to go against the current of, uh, of the world. It's, it's very hard to swim upstream. <laughs> and the world has ways, has, suggests ways that we should live our lives. And when we choose not to live our lives that way, sometimes we're ostracized. Sometimes we're fired from our jobs. Sometimes we're left out of people groups and activities. But the freedom of radical living lives with the assurance that we have pleased God, we are doing what God wants us to do, and it really doesn't matter if we're going against the current of the world. So that's one of the freedoms for. And then we talk about, I also talk about in the book, freedom for lavish loving. We love and we can love freely. We can sit and we can love those who are poor, those who are less fortunate than us, those who are different than us, those who um, the world says, you know what, you shouldn't be loving these people. They're different than you. They look different than you. They sound different than you. And you should shun them. But the freedom that God gives us in this freedom of lavish loving allows us to love those that the world deems unlovable. And without criticism. And then we also talk about freedom for generous giving. Our hands are open wide in this freedom, Pat. It's a freedom that um, realizes that God, everything that we have, every dollar that we have, every um, possession that we have is given to us by God. And that we can share it with those who are less fortunate. And we lose our grip on our possessions and on our material things in a way that we're like, yes, let me give this to you. Yes, let me help you. Yes, I'll love to do this for you. And it's generous. What I love about this is that giving, generous giving is not all about money either. And so many, and that's what we think of. We think of, oh, well, I don't have the money to give. It's not all about money. It's the generous giving of your time. It's the generous giving of your talents. It's the generous giving of maybe some resources that you have that you no longer need. There's a freedom there that does not stand, that stands up for God rather than, it doesn't worry about standing in um, judgment of the world. And it's the, it's the way that we're supposed to live as believers. The church especially is supposed to live this way, Pat. Um, and if the church was truly living this way, we would not have as many problems in this world as we did. But God left us in charge. 
He left us in charge to love and to give and to care for those that are less fortunate. And, um, you know, I just, I hate to say this, but we're not doing a good job of that. And um, if all Christians could catch on to this and the churches could live like this, our world would be completely different. Um, but, yeah, that's, those are the freedoms for and, and welcoming freedom. What do you want to t- what do you want people to take from this whole discussion? Oh wow. I think if I had to sum it up, I think if I had to sum everything up, I would sum it up like this. The immeasurably more life is found at the intersection of God's word and and our obedience to it. The life that we long to live, God put this this, we have this natural, uh, it's metaphorically speaking, God-sized place in our heart that only he can feel, that only serving him can fulfill. And when we align ourselves with his word and we radically obey it and radically live it and put our own needs and I talk about this in that second section of the book, and put our own needs behind the needs of others, we intersect our lives with the God of immeasurably more in a way that's indescribable. And we realize, Pat, that life with the God of immeasurably more brings into our lives more than we can ever ask or imagine. That's the key scripture of the book, um, Ephesians 3.20. And that um, he gives us immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And that doesn't mean he's not referring to material things and he's going to fill our house with the finest of, of luxuries that he's going to we'll have an eight-car garage filled with the finest cars or have multiple homes. That's not what immeasurably more is. Immeasurably more is that intimacy with him and accepting, receiving, and living in great contentment, complete contentment with what he has blessed us with. And we realize that, and we love him for that. So it's the intersection between our lives and the Word of God is where we find immeasurably more living with the immeasurably more God. I do, Wendy, want to ask you about Proverbs 31 ministries that you're part of. What's What's that all about? Proverbs, Proverbs 31 is an international women's ministry, and our main goal is to um, eradicate biblical poverty. And basically what that means is to take the Word of God and break it open into places uh, that it has not gone and into ways that it can be understood by people, by women around the world primarily. But we do that through... Um, an online devotion that's free called First Five. We also have, uh, that's, I'm an app, and then we have a free online devotion called Encouragement for Today. I am part of a 12-person speaker team where we take the Word of God to women's retreats and women's conferences. Uh, Proverbs 31 also equips future leaders um, in the faith through a conference called She Speaks that we have here in Charlotte where we train and we equip and we encourage women in leadership, and whether they're writing or whether they're leading or whether they're speaking. 
And um, it's right here, right up the road from me, actually, in Matthews, North Carolina. And I've been a part of the ministry for now 16 years. My guest, Wendy Pope. We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to 94.9 FM at AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, folks, thanks for joining us here. I uh, enjoyed having you plug in to hear Scott Welch in that first segment uh, talking about his book, Plantation Jesus. And then Wendy Pope came along and talked about her book, Yes, No, and Maybe. Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And I've got a brand new book that's just out. It's called Character Carved in Stone. It's about an experience I had at West Point, uh, and uh, we have expanded on that. I think you'll enjoy it. Ravel put it out. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski, the Duke coach, wrote the foreword, and it's just coming out now as we speak. We're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned all day long to 94.9 FM. At AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.